It's International Women's Day 2021, and we're talking to three women in the industry who've been working hard behind the scenes in a challenging year. It's been interesting, and it's it's been challenging just trying to keep up with with everything in a different way. And the things that you thought you would get done don't get done, like that cupboard you were going to clean out or something. But other things happen that you never expected. And it's nice. We have lunch together every day and a lot of lot more cooking, a lot more cleaning, a lot more eating. <laughs> Seems like there's a lot more going in and out the door, but even when, when we're home all the time. And as ever, we'll be recommending some fantastic films by women. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Happy International Women's Day. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And today we're celebrating some of the wonderful women behind the scenes in film. For the past year, the Girls on Film team has been working hard to bring you episodes recorded remotely from our homes. You've probably been working from home too. If so, you'll know it isn't always easy. A new survey from Raising Films has shown this has been particularly hard on parents and carers, including those in the film industry. Let's hear from filmmaker and co-founder of Raising Films, Hope Dixon-Leach. Welcome to Girls on Film and happy International Women's Day. Thank you. And to you. Well, it's lovely to have you with us. We're big fans of Raising Films. You do incredible work. Uh, For the listeners, tell us a bit more about Raising Films and about your new survey. Raising Films is an organisation that supports and campaigns for parents and carers in the screen industries. We started out in the UK. We now have branches in Ireland and in Australia. And, um, you know, world domination is our goal. Although our our sort of primary purpose is is to no longer need to exist anymore. Um, So earlier this week, we published a new scoping study into the effects of COVID on filmmaker parents and carers. This is called Back to the Brink. And even though it's quite a small survey at this point, um, it was very kind of in-depth with the group that we interviewed. And so we were able to have some really great kind of information beyond stats. Um, although, I, you know, I'm sure everyone's aware of the anecdotal reports of how bad the pandemic has been for women in particular. Um, the, the sort of the numbers that we have in this report are very clear um, in terms of the effect on people in the film industry, but also um, in terms of their mental health. So it, sort of over half of them uh, experienced a negative direct impact on their household finances. Um, most of them uh, in the people who work in production experienced negative direct on their working arrangements. Um, and you can imagine every single one of them experienced negative impact on their mental health. So it's a fairly startling study kind of confirming what people may have thought already but uh, from this we're going to launch a national survey so we can sort of widen the pool and see if we can go into more depth um, about what's happened. One of the things that's really important is there's sort of been a, a cascade effect so somebody might you know lost production work and therefore their finances are impacted but as well as that they are Um, aware that they're going to be out of the industry for a long time and we already know this is an industry where people who take caring breaks 
you know, really have to fight back hard to, to get back in again. So they, um, so for example, like coming back after a maternity leave or something, when you find that other people in the industry who have kind of upskilled, they have uh, better contacts, they have more experience on their resumes, and it's very hard, you know, to try and, and claw your way back. So this is going to happen again for these people. And um, so that's bad. This will have an impact on people's mental health and in many cases leading to people leaving the industry. So this is a kind of really terrible time for that because we've obviously had so much progress in the last kind of five to 10 years around trying to get women in to the industry and allowing them to sustain and develop careers. So it couldn't really have come at a worse time. So what needs to change in order to get parents like yourself, we can hear your children in the background there, and help them get back on track? So one of the great things we've learned is that there are different ways to work. Flexible working, job sharing, working from home uh, have all become really clear. People now know that that is something that people can do. Um, work, the workplace is adaptable. So it's, it's really, uh, we've no longer having to persuade people and, and the carers and our caring responsibilities are in the front of um in the front of everyone's minds because very often they are literally in front of their computers but also one of the things we've seen which is an argument we've always made is that you know if you can change a movie set to adapt to covid protocols why can't you change it to adapt to having a crash or a nanny or you know doing a five-day week or you know shorter hours all of which are things that uh, would really help uh, with parents and carers in terms of their work and we now know that everybody can do it. it's just a matter of whether they're willing so we want to kind of spread the spread the word that there are really clear routes to um, improving the industry for parents and carers well best of luck with that thank you for coming on to girls on film and finally where can people find out more about raising films go to raisingfilms.com um, there's the report back from the brink but there are also all kinds of stories and interviews we've done with parents and carers in the sector and uh, raising films on Twitter is always a good place to look. Wonderful. Hope Dixon Leaks. Thank you very much. I'd now like to welcome three women who've been working from home for the UK's female-led distribution company, Modern Films, who are our partners for this episode. I think one falls in love with the place and has to keep on coming back. Are you going back? I just forgot how pregnant this place is. The history of things being here with us. The old world is dying. And the new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Well, welcome to you all, Modern Films women. I would like you each to briefly introduce yourself and say your role in Modern Films. Let's start with you, Eve. Um, so I'm Eve Gabbro, and I'm the founder, CEO, managing director <laughs> of Modern Films. So that is some big titles, but um, I actually just am part of the team and work on across distribution and getting our films out. Thank you. And Jacqueline, welcome. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. So I'm working on marketing campaigns and uh, make sure the films to be seen by the audience here. Amazing. And Eva. Hi, I'm Eva and I work on visual design and social media at Modern Films. And um, you're part of a, how big a team, Eve? How many other people are in the team? Oh, we're a kind of um, <laughs> growing, shrinking, expanding, moving uh, team, depending on what the project is and who you include. But I think our core group is six people and then all the different partners we work with um, makes it 
a wider group. Well, we've been talking about the last year. Obviously, this is partly to celebrate everything we've all achieved this past year. Um, But first, I wanted to ask you about some of the challenges. And we've just heard from Raising Films about the impact on parents and carers in particular um, during the pandemic. Eve, let me start with you because I know you are a parent. How has this last year been for you working in the film industry, particularly with that in mind? Well, in the film industry and particularly in distribution, we travel a lot. So I have not traveled uh, very much, although I did I did somehow fit in a trip to the Venice and Rome film festivals. But um, it's been interesting just pivoting to not traveling and working from home and being home all the time and not commuting. But yeah, equally having my husband home 24 hours a day as well and my two children who thankfully for me anyway and homeschooling is they're old enough to work on their own they're 14 and 17 so they've been able to go into their rooms closed door and get on with school and and also thankfully their schools have been very proactive in terms of um, online learning but it's been interesting <laughs> and it's it's been challenging just trying to keep up with with everything in a different way and the things that you thought you would get done don't get done like that cupboard you were going to clean out or something but other things happen that you never expected and it's nice we have lunch together every day and um, a lot of lot more cooking a lot more cleaning a lot more eating <laughs> seems like there's a lot more going in and out the door but even when when we're home all the time. I know the feeling. And we've also heard from Raising Films, of course, that a lot of women have felt that uh, their mental health has been impacted. You sound like you've managed. Well done. Uh, Have you got any any tips for kind of coping with the kind of stresses that in particular as a parent you've been feeling the last year? Um, Probably something I don't even do as, as much as I should or need to is go outside. I think just be outside and maybe go outside together, go for walks. Those have been great times when we just go to the park. Thankfully, we live right next to a park, but uh, going outside and maybe try and find things to do together. We've been watching a lot of films, so um, finding out our different tastes in films and sort of appreciating that from 14 up. (laughs) And let me ask Jacqueline, how have you got on working remotely? At what point did you actually join Modern Films? Um, I joined Modern Films, I think, almost three years ago when we had the Raper Race Taylor impact campaign. And so I joined at the intern and now working on the outreaching to the community cinemas on the impact campaign. Then I continued since then. So I'm I'm been here for a while. And um yeah, I, I really enjoy working there because it's, I love the film. I think in the film industry, everyone comes with a passion. So once you you love the film you're working on, you can put your hundred percent effort into it, and that's that's the most important thing. And that's driven for me at least, just to love the project you're working on. So for us, we have great, amazing titles, and I think that's that that's kind of passion and also the the driven factor for me to working on it and continue to to do so. Lovely to hear so much passion. Now, Eva, tell me also, how about you? Have you been working for Modern Films a while or did you start during the pandemic? Remind me. Yes, I actually did. So nearly a year ago today, I was in the office for two days and then lockdown happened. And from there, my internship was all online. So yeah, up until a bit after summer, I was interning virtually. And then I stayed on uh, for the rest of the film season. So, yeah, it was an interesting way to enter the world of film. But I've learned a lot as well. So 
Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to you two in a minute and find out what films in particular that you've loved working on. But I want to chat a bit to Eve because Bravo, by the way, because modern films has really adapted to a very strange situation, an unprecedented and unforeseen situation. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you adapted and the kind of decisions you had to make fairly early on, basically a year ago when the pandemic started? Yeah, um, I think that the reason we kind of were able to grow the team and keep going was because we reacted very quickly to the pandemic and the closure of cinemas and thinking, what can we do to keep going with the films we have and stay relevant, but also do some kind of distribution justice to our films, really, to 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 allow them to be released and seen by audiences and not just stop and wait. And I think at that point, as Eva said, we thought two weeks, we'll be back. Um, but even so we did, there was some kind of feeling it, it, it could be more. And even if it's, even if we are back, what else could we be doing in order to uh, react to cinemas closing? Cause it was pretty radical. I mean, even during wartime cinemas didn't close. They were seen as important for, for mental health and morale to come back to that topic. So we pivoted very quickly to launching a virtual cinema platform, which was a digital platform, but with a point of difference that we have grown also over the last year that we partner with cinemas so that we keep that theatrical spirit and cinema, uh, well, cinema spirit and theatrical window alive before other digital platforms. So we did that. We, but Jacqueline and I had been sort of playing around with a digital platform idea because we had um, a film and possibly a couple of other ones where we had multiple territories on it. So we thought, how could we um, expand what we do? And so we did have this going and had had a few ideas and a few prototypes that I often think if the pandemic hadn't happened, we would still be tinkering with it, playing it with it in the office and thinking, wouldn't that be a good idea? And um and so we just, within days, thought, let's try it out, let's launch it, let's put it out there. And we did that with the film that we were supposed to release on the 27th of March, which was the perfect candidate by Haifa El-Mansur, and was um, the subject of a podcast, actually, the first lockdown podcast, as I recall. Yes, it was, so was our first go. We were trying to figure it out. Yeah, that was that was a baptism as fire for us all, wasn't it? It was um, it was our first what we were calling isolation pods back then to try and keep the listeners company, and it was wonderful to get Hi for El Mansour on there, and, and alongside yourself and a couple of other great guests. So it really was, and we had a musician on. Remember, yes. we had to. Played. She was, was nice. fantastic, and I think that was a lovely moment. We thought, okay, we're adapting here. And this is possible. And actually, we can connect to someone over in the other side of the world and actually perhaps reach people who we wouldn't have been able to speak to in the studio before. So it's, yeah, it's pretty special. Although with Haifa, interestingly, we had just had her in London for International Women's Day and we did a live event at the BFI South Bank. Uh, it seems crazy now. And, you know, as she was leaving sort of roads and runways were closing behind her. Well, this is this is our International Women's Day episode. Happy International Women's Day, by the way. Um, and yeah, with Girls on Film, this time last year, we were celebrating misbehaviour on stage um, with, a, with a live event at the Albright and the film Radioactive. And yeah, little knowing what was about to come, that was our last onstage event. But Eve, I've been lucky enough to actually host a couple of Q&As in the past year for you on stage in a cinema, which has been a great privilege um, and and exciting, um, but also very different circumstances. Could you talk to me a little bit about how you have worked with cinemas when they have been able to open for events like this? Yeah, in the summer when cinemas first started reopening, uh, 
rightfully so. Most cinemas were apprehensive about events. But by September, people were being a bit more open to socially distanced, you know, managed uh, occupancy and live events. So we were able to book a few in. Um, and one of them was with the film Luxor by Zaina Jura. And we had planned a premiere event and then a, ser- a, a theatrical run across the country and then a series of live events with her, including a BFI Wing with a movie camera screening. But we had a premiere um, arranged with the Everyman and Chelsea Road. Uh, on Chelsea Road, King's Road in Chelsea. (laughs) Um, And uh, so that was supposed to be the launch of the film. And within a few weeks of that day arising, which was at the beginning of November, lockdown was announced. So we actually made it by... uh, by, tw- by 24 hours the night before we were we had the premiere which you hosted Anna Anna very nicely hosted our Q&A and it was it was sold out uh, as it could as as sold out as it could be and we had that on stage on stage event and even the DOP was able to fly in from Denmark or Sweden so and um she, for the night I mean it was all quite surreal and we know that when we we had to leave by 10 o'clock because they were closing up for the unforeseeable future, which was supposed to be a month, which it was. Then again, the cinemas opened in December. We were able to have a uh, press junket with Viggo Mortensen with his film Falling. He came to London under very strict COVID rules with testing every day. And we were able to do a number of events, including one at the Everyman in Hampstead, which Anna again hosted. (laughs) Wonderful. We even had a small small dinner that was uh, all COVID (laughs) friendly. But it did, it did seem, um, it seemed like a heightened reality, didn't it? But everyone who came to those events, as you saw, and we did a number of other ones with Vigo, um, were so appreciative. And it was it was like this kind of textual feeling that people were uh, in awe of being at an event with people talking and in the presence. But equally, we were able to, one of the events we did with Vigo, we wanted to bring in the lead actor, Lance Henriksen, but he was in California and we beamed him in on the screen and Vika sitting on a chair talking to the screen. And we, we wondered if that would have been possible before, because it would have been possible maybe by satellite, but that would be prohibitively expensive for just a Q and a and, and with zoom, it wasn't really, it didn't exist. So, and it would, the quality of it wasn't hundred percent might not have been acceptable to either audiences or the cinemas, but it was in this case. And it actually just felt like we were bringing, like you said, the first, uh, lockdown podcast that we did it was about bringing people together that maybe we couldn't have in in real life but we still were able to have a really interesting and sort of thoughtful conversation. Eva tell me which film you've picked to focus on today. So I've picked uh, Beyond the Visible Hilma af Klint by Helena Dierschka. She was well educated she had a mind of her own and she painted like nobody else. In order to tell the history of abstraction now, you have to rewrite it. Because basically, all the people who said, it happened in this year, well, no, it didn't. I suppose the reason I picked it, first and foremost, is just for the themes of the film itself. I mean, it's about a female artist who is a female abstract artist from Sweden who is forgotten from the pages of art history. But her artwork itself was just incredibly rich and dense and she manages to just like explore sort of 
the complexity of the human condition and the natural world and everything around her within her artwork. And it's really, I mean, I'm yet to see it in real life, but even just looking at the art on screen, it's incredible um, and quite like profound and philosophical. But I remember I saw an advertisement for it on Tea Time Pictures, Dakota Johnson's uh, production company. I saw it on Instagram and I was really sad that I wasn't able to watch it in London. It was only available in America. And then about a few weeks later, Eve said that uh, we were picking up the film. So I was particularly glad that we decided to pick up that film. But in terms of releasing it during the pandemic, I think it was particularly exciting because, like we've mentioned, Eve has mentioned just before, there's a certain amount of scope, I suppose, that we can, I guess, we can sort of reach further in a way because we are online. Like, for example, we were able to partner with a variety of different galleries and art-focused organisations within London, but also internationally so one of our um, online events was with the Moderna Museet in Malmö who had a huge exhibition about Hilma of Klimt. I think it's still going on at the moment but they had the initial uh, Hilma of Klimt exhibition back in 2013 I believe so that was really interesting to be able to partner with them for an online event you know basically from our bedrooms <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting because quite a few people you've spoken to has mentioned that film. It's clearly had a huge impact on people. And you touched on the fact, that I think, there that art and the appreciation of art and visual art is so perhaps in, important to us at the moment when we're seeking out things to inspire us, um, both in terms of audio and visuals. So great choice. Now, Jacqueline, tell me which one you picked. The film that picked is The Perfect Candidate. So, yeah, like Eve said, a year ago, so on the Women's Day, Haifa Munso traveled to the UK and we have this amazing International Women's Day event at BFI. So it's feel quite surreal. It's a year later now and uh, where was you in the lockdown? But yeah, so we, for that film, we I feel it's such a modern films film. And so it's kind of like this perfect the modern films we're releasing. So I got very excited and we got some funding support from BFI so we can go beyond the marketing campaign we we used to do with a smaller film. So we could like do a lot bigger campaign. So we did new trailer and poster with intermission. And uh, for the trailer is by Sam Ashby at there. And that's one of the most beautiful posts I ever worked on. So I was so excited. And we got the 12 sheet cube campaign going on. And then halfway through the release, the pandemic happened. And I think the most sad thing is for me is we cannot continue the underground campaign because it's amazing artwork and there's a 12-sheet campaign will be going on. But luckily, later on, we find out the, the campaign was still there, but just no one taking the underground. But yeah, so that's the most exciting thing. At the beginning, we have the amazing artwork and trailer going on and we were passing away little lights for the trailer launch. On Facebook, we got amazing views there, and then we partner with girls on girls on top and doing this limited T-shirt release. So just going very well. Then pandemic happened, but luckily we adapt very fast. So we launched this virtual theatrical release model, and we partner with cinemas and institutions as well. We did Q and A events, so actually reach to more broader audience in that way. Um. 
I was actually reading the surveys we had like a month ago and this audience comments there saying, even though it's in lockdown, they watch that time, but that's the best alternative. They can have the experience watching at home and they can support their independent cinemas locally. And I just feel like what we're doing is basically very innovative, but also at the same time, and bring people closer to the film in a different way. So yeah, I, I, that's why I picked the perfect candidate. I, I think I'm going out for a while as well. But. No, I love it. <laughs> I love that you you all love your jobs and that it's just that passion comes through and it's fantastic because we feel the same way in Girls of Film about what we do. It's just, we adore film. You know, it's interesting. I'll just add to what Jacqueline said about The Perfect Candidate is, you know, different territories were at different stages in the release of it and Germany had already gone out and then they had to stop and France was about to go out. They decided to wait and, and then they released it in the summer. But in the US, they still haven't released it. Uh, and I was speaking with the distribution company and they, you know, do you have this feeling of, we know that films get old, but audiences don't really, you know, once the festival circuit has come around again. But they were saying that post-lockdown, they think a film like The Perfect Candidate that is about a doctor who kind of changes <laughs> the circumstances around her, runs for office, that, um, that it will resonate even more so with audiences and they're going to try to connect that level uh, of the story with post-pandemic. They see it as a post-pandemic. <laughs> it's interesting to see. That's interesting. Yeah, we'd love to hear from listeners as well if you feel that you're coming out of the pandemic inspired by certain types of films. I mean, certainly the sort of feedback I've been hearing is that, yeah, people are interested in films about compassion, about progress, about fighting for change, all the kind of things we talk about that people have had perhaps more time to think about. And The Perfect Candidate is a great example of that. Um, now, we've just featured polystyrene, I Am A Cliché, um, on our last podcast before this one, and that's a fantastic film that you are distributing. Can you um, tell people how to watch that? Because obviously it's not a Glasgow Film Festival anymore. Yeah, I listened to the podcast. It was wonderful. I mean, we've been working closely with Celeste. So uh, we actually had uh, the other day a uh, preview screening and talk online with the Saatchi Gallery's Art and Music Books magazine and Every Man and a connection with World's End, Vivian Westwood's shop. So we, we, and we had a, a really good response, a lot of comments, um, hundreds of comments in the chat and a lot of viewers um, who responded to who Polly was either from that era or from what they've heard and then have seen the film. But we have released, we are releasing it, uh, we have released it on the 5th of March um, through our uh, virtual cinema network. So on the Modern Films website, if you see the polystyrene um, page, you can click through and see all the cinema listings. And there are about, correct me if I'm wrong, Eva, about 25 cinemas plus all the um, other uh, platforms that are outside our network, like Curzon Home Cinema, BFI Player, Barbican uh, at Home, and we also have some Irish cinema. So it's all through that, through our virtual cinema uh, network, plus our partner organizations, um, all online. And hopefully we will be able to have some uh, physical screenings when it reopens with the filmmakers. That would be a great one to see with a crowd as well as at home, I can imagine. Yeah, I love watching at home, but I think, yeah, it's got so much energy, hasn't it? Um, so that actually brings me to something that we're doing at Girls on Film for International Women's Day, because we reckon every day is Women's Day, let's face it. Um, so we're going to be on social media uh, suggesting one film every day for 365 days directed by a woman perhaps a hidden gem maybe a classic maybe old maybe new I'm going to put you all on the spot now and I'm going to say it doesn't have to be modern films in fact 
great if it's not because we've, we've chatted loads about your work. Um, but is there any female directed films that um, you've maybe discovered recently or was a particular favourite that you would like to champion that could we could add to our potential list? Whoa, Anna, you are putting it on the spot. Uh, I mean, if we had to do a modern films film, I would say Alice Rohrwacher uh, because I love her work and I love her vision. But if we're allowed to go wider, oh, you know, this year you could say Chloe Zhao or Emerald Fennell or so have been so amazing. I mean, I, I love... Greta Gerwig. Oh, what are you wearing? Chloe Zhao. Girls on Chloe Zhao. Oh, the girls on top. T-shirt. Yeah, Nomadland. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I would say, yeah, Greta Gerwig as well. I was just saying she's fantastic as well. I'd love to see what she does next. So I'm being very contemporary, but I feel like I'm trying to think of films that will come out and excite us. What do you think is Greta Gerwig's finest film? Well, as an actress or as a... (laughs) Let's say as a director, because it's obviously a smaller pool when you're talking as a director, but... (laughs) <laughs> go with Lady Bird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love, love Lady Bird. Women. But you know, we 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 watched Little, uh, Little Women as our uh, Christmas film um, two years ago now, in twenty nineteen. It was a great modern film film experience. <laughs> Jacqueline, we had really a lot of fun. Oh, you had a little team um, Christmas film watching. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah, no, but we invited kind of a wider team, so we had sort of all the friends and family of modern films, and we watched that, and it felt like a great. Um, embodiment of what we do but yeah I, I, I love her voice and in cinema and the way she tells stories and, and is kind well I think she's definitely going to figure edgy, on edgy this. and quirky yeah exactly yeah, yeah no, she's amazing <laughs> um anything else to bring to mind um Jacqueline I just watched the Celine Scarman's new film at Berlin last week Little Woman oh Little Mother sorry Petite Maman, Petite Maman. <laughs> yes yeah so good it was, it was amazing I'm I'm her fangirl and I love all of her work she has done and this one especially very well done again and also very touching. I almost cried and so she she's definitely one of the most wonderful contemporary directors out there. So I agree. She has the power to make you feel nostalgic and moved and extremely emotional and transported. She's just she did all that for me with Portrait of Lady on Fire and she did all that again with Petit Bemont. And I just thought Wow. And also, without spoilers, it touches on some of my favourite genres. But it's a difficult film to talk about without spoiling it, isn't it? So I'm not going to go into it in great depth. But I don't know when we can see that yet, but I'm very excited to share that with the rest of the world. Great choice, Jacqueline. No pressure, Eva. What have you got? I'm going to be, well, incredibly unoriginal because the first film that came to my mind was Celine Siama's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which... uh, you guys that works perfectly. Um, but yeah, it's my number one. I think she's such an incredible director and also screenwriter. I think just incredibly smart. I I think I read somewhere that she doesn't usually when you watch a romantic film or a love film, you're watching two people fall in love. But this person said Celine Siama in Portrait of a Lady on Fire makes you fall in love with it like you're the characters falling in love and I thought that was incredible because that's basically what she does she like shapes the architecture of desire and love and that's just it's beyond me that someone is able to do that and be smart enough to sort of put that into film so yeah I was blown away by that and still am so 
And to add that she was a co-writer on My Life as a Courgette, which is such a wonderful film and so <laughs> emotional <laughs> in an animation form. So, yeah, basically everything Celine Sciamma has ever done and will do <laughs> is top of our list. Um, thank you all so much for joining us. Eve, tell me, what else do you have coming up with Modern Films? Well, we have quite an open slate because we've been actively not acquiring films in this um, since last year because we had so many films to release and we were trying to play catch-up. So we do have polystyrene. Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... was out on March 5th and we have a couple of films that we're looking at now from these early festivals the festivals in early 2021 but we do have a film we picked up last year that we've been waiting for cinemas to reopen and we will wait so we're looking at a June date for it now which is Wildfire um, a feature debut by Kathy Brady that was at the London Film Festival and won the IWC uh, Filmmaker Award and stars uh, Nora Jane Noon and Nika McGuigan um, about two sisters um, who live in a northern Irish border town. So we are looking to put together a full theatrical and potentially hybrid virtual and physical, but definitely physical element release for it. Great. I saw that at London Film Festival and it has really complex female characters, lots to chew on. So yeah, that's a great one. I'm sure we'll be covering that nearer the time. Thank you very much. We also asked a few friends in the industry to share their film highlights of the past year. Here goes. Hello, my name is Rebecca Del Tufo from Saffron Screen. It has been a delight to work with the generous and supportive modern films, sharing films online with our audiences when we were closed. The film I have enjoyed working on the most in the past year has been Beyond the Visible, because I knew nothing of Hilma F. Clint before watching the film, and fell in love with it and with her work. The chance to explore art and learn something new while museums were closed was a delight, and then to be able to discuss it with our audiences. My name is Sonia Zadurian and I'm the new release cinema curator at the Barbican Centre in London. I found Hilma's paintings incredibly striking and beautiful, but what I connected with so strongly was this idea of the canon of an art form being created by men, so inevitably made up of works predominantly by men. And of course we see this and struggle with this also in the film world. To celebrate the release of the film, we were so pleased to partner with Bird's Eye View and Modern Films on a virtual screen talk event, which included Barbican Art Gallery curator Eleanor Nairn. As a cinema that sits within a cross-arts centre, we are always looking for ways to collaborate with our colleagues in other departments, to look at film from a cross-arts perspective. And this was a really fantastic opportunity to do just that. Here's Claire Vaughan, the Programme Manager at Chapter Cinema in Cardiff, Wales. The film I've really enjoyed working on in the last year is Mr Jones by Agnieszka Holland. We hosted the Welsh premiere of the film in uh, in Chapter in Cardiff, where I work, um, back before lockdown, just before lockdown, um, in, in the end of January. And um, an audience has loved it. It was really great. And it was a really wonderful event. We had the ambassador of the Ukraine there and she really wants to meet Agnieszka Holland. It was um, Gareth Jones is a real um, folk hero. And uh, as the subject of the film, it was really interesting seeing a Polish director um, telling a Ukrainian story and bringing it back to Wales and having the um, the audience kind of like really excited to see the story and uh, and sort of think about it. And she's a very political filmmaker, Agnieszka Holland. And um, and so the moment of the film where um, that the film was released, where we were sort of thinking about truth and we sort of seem to be in this post-truth era 
um, you know, she was really interested in that and really interested in how the truth gets um, gets manufactured and and shifted around. And uh, and so it was it was wonderful to meet her and 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 talk with her about the film. But I mean, the trouble is the the cinema's closed very soon afterwards, and um, audiences in in chapter really enjoyed it, but they really wanted to share it with their friends. And so having modern films uh, be able to sort of, sort of show it on their platform gave the film kind of a longer life in that way. And and also the audiences who, who saw it and were like, oh, you're gonna go and see this film. They had a chance to do that by having it on modern films. And so that was really wonderful. So at a time when, when cinemas couldn't bring things back and we couldn't continue the conversation, modern films did help us continue the conversation in that way. So, uh, yeah, Jochen uh, Bauer, modern films. We've loved talking to some of the filmmakers involved with modern films on the podcast. Here are a few highlights. I grew up in a very small town in Saudi, and my mom used to love to say. But whenever I tell my friends at school, like I listen to this song and everything, they tell me we'll go straight to hell. And I felt <laughs> like, um, yes, an outsider just because of music. And my mom also is not shy. When we go to like our family gatherings and stuff like that, she will go and sing and everybody's waiting for her. She's not doing it for money or anything. It's just like because she wanted to have fun and that is her hobby. And I was really embarrassed by all that as a kid. But it taught me what defiance is and really shaped my views to the world. It's like you really need to have values that are personal, not like dictated by what people expect from you, especially in a place like it's very traditional and very conservative like Saudi where everything is planned for you. That was Haifa Al-Mansour on our episode for The Perfect Candidate. Now here's Zelmira Gainzer, the cinematographer of Luxor. I have had women feel that I've got their back. If they're actresses who are, it's funny, very often it's the really beautiful ones who can be really insecure about their looks. You know, and they really? say, oh, please. Yeah, they say, like, I'm, I'm self-conscious about my hips or something. Please, or please don't shoot me. I had one actress who didn't like her profile. She said, please don't shoot my profile. And I was like, I've got you. Because I, I understand what bad photographs look like of me or bad angles. And if they're older actresses, um, camera height and soft light are their friends. So I basically want actors to feel comfortable. And then if there's, you know, scenes of intimacy, I try and be as inobtrusive as possible. Thanks for listening today. To find out more about Raising Films, go to raisingfilms.com. If you like the sound of the polystyrene film, get your ears around our Glasgow Film Festival episode for our interview with polystyrene's daughter, Celeste. It should be up next in your queue. Now, as I mentioned, because it's Women's Day every day, Girls on Film are doing 365 days of recommendations of fantastic female-directed films. Follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and do send us your suggestions. There can be any era, any genre, from classics to blockbusters to hidden gems. Check out our Patreon page for extra treats. We're at patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. Girls on Film is an HLA production. It's brought to you by executive producer Heather Archbold, assistant producers Heather Dempsey and Eliana J, our audio producer for this episode, Dan Pugsley, and our partners for this app, Modern Films. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Eve Gabaro. Jacqueline Wang and Eva Svendenyuk. And we had contributions from Hope Dixon Leach, Claire Vaughan, Sonia Sadurian, and Rebecca Del Tufo. See you soon and stay safe. Everyone. 
I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be.